You're listening to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast, the show where I talk to fanfiction writers about their work and the marvelous world of fanfiction. This show may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. The following paragraphs are from a fanfiction titled, Maybe We Should Fix the Hole in the Ceiling, from the Javier Escuella and Bill Williamson series by today's guest fanfiction writer, which stood on rocky shores. It was a late night in the cabin, one of many Bill and Javier had shared together. Sprawled across the cot they shared, pressed together for warmth but not quite asleep yet, a crack in the rickety cabin's roof showed just a sliver of the night sky, the stars shining brighter than Bill had ever seen. It took Bill a moment to realize, but Javier was looking at the same crack in the ceiling. Do you ever think that maybe Dutch is out there, staring at the same sky we are? Bill asked his voice quiet and groggy from lack of sleep. I wonder where he is. Javier paused, pondering what his brother said for a moment. His eyebrows furrowed, shaking his head a little bit as he said, I hope he's far away from us wherever he is. A sigh left him, a part of him still longing for Dutch to come and save the both of them again. We're doing fine on our own. We don't need his help. Bill wanted to rebuke that they weren't doing fine, that the state of their cabin and their near-constant breakdowns proved they were anything but fine. As much as he was inclined to agree that being apart from Dutch was likely for the best, being by themselves wasn't healthy either. But lacking the energy to argue, he just stayed quiet, his arms wrapped tightly against his brother's upper body. Go to sleep, Bill muttered, the light of the stars above fading as he closed his eyes. Tomorrow's gonna be a good day. I can feel it. Javier only hummed in disagreement, He wished to say that they hadn't had a good day in so long he could hardly remember what that meant anymore. But Bill's snores proved his words were futile. To the north, south, east, and west, four corners of the world, greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Our special guest fanfiction writer today is Witch Stood on Rocky Shores. He's been a member of AO3 since 2018 and has 36 fanfictions posted for Red Dead Redemption, Star Valley, and two original works. He loves to write, of course, draw, cook, and bake, hell yeah, which stood on rocky shores. Welcome to the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. Excellent. Now, I got to ask you about this whole cooking thing. I've said on the show so many times, I can't cook to save my life. Tell me what kind of stuff you like to cook. I like to cook potatoes and pasta i like pasta especially sauce is like my favorite food uh and i like to bake too that is so so cool can i ask your opinion on something real important oh yes okay so hypothetical situation gay there's someone that i really like right and i'm not quite brave enough to tell this person hey i really like you so i want to invite this person over to my house and maybe i want to cook them something now this person This person's a foodie, I think, and probably more sophisticated than I am. And I can't cook, right? So what should I cook this person? 
to impress them, do you think, in this completely hypothetical situation? What would you recommend I cook somebody that I like, but I'm not ready to tell them I like them yet? Okay. And you can't cook very well. I can't cook very well. I suck. Okay. So then, in that situation, I would probably suggest pasta, because pasta is so easy. So you start with the pasta base. Any pasta will do. And then you make a very simple garlic type sauce. Ooh, I like that. With just some garlic buttery type sauce. Because Alfredo Alfredo is easy, but for someone who can't cook, it can be a little bit difficult to make. I can make Alfredo easy, but uh, for someone who can't cook, I think it'd be a little harder. So I would suggest some garlic buttery sauce, which is really easy to make if you if you just have like an extra pan. Oh, ah, oh, okay. All right, you just saved my life. I appreciate it, brother. That's awesome. I'm going to remember that because, yeah, chaos can't cook. But uh, I try every now and then. All right, so let's get started here. Thank you so much for that advice. I really appreciate that. But let's get to the topic at hand here. I want to know the story of how you first discovered fan fiction. How did that happen? And do you remember the very first thing that you read? No, no, I do not. I, 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 I do remember vaguely a long, long time ago. I never remember a time when I didn't know what fan fiction was. I think that I didn't start reading it until I was, like, around the age of 12. The first fanfiction that I remember reading is um, an Undertale fanfiction, um, fanfiction.net. It, it was a slow burn sans extorial fic. I remember liking it, but I thought it was too long. It had 30 chapters. Ooh, that's awesome. You know what? 30 chapter slow burn? Mm, you know, that's just some good stuff. Right there. <laughs> yeah, I probably would enjoy it now, but I can't. Yeah, but I I don't remember the name. I just remember it was a uh, sansectorial, and it was a long fic, and I thought it was too long, and I didn't really like to read. Oh, really? But you read it anyway. I think I read like five chapters, <laughs> and then you're like, I can't, I can't anymore. <laughs> okay, so how does a dude who doesn't like to read get into fan fiction? Remember, I was really young, too. I just didn't like to read when I was younger. I think I got more into reading when I got a little older. Reading and writing. Got it. Got it. Now, do you think that you got more into it as you got older because of, like, school or just because you were getting older, maybe more mature? Older, more mature. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And, like, I think I was kind of so turned off reading because of all them required books that I had to read. They were very boring. I did not like them. I, 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 I remember hating Lord of the Flies. Like, mm, I just never liked it. And then we read this biography of Frederick Douglass. But I thought that was an interesting story, but it was still so boring. Yeah, you know, you gotta really love history, I think, to kind of, like, um really enjoy those old school biographies. I love history, so I like biographies, but I agree with you that they can be written very dry, you know, and kind of hard to read sometimes. Yeah, like, it's not that Frederick Douglass doesn't have an interesting story to tell, but, uh, such a <laughs> drag, man. I know you were alive in the 1800s, but... <laughs> Now, okay, so you said something really interesting earlier. You said that you feel like you always knew what fan fiction was. Is that because all of the kids that you went to school with knew what it was? And so it's just this like cultural thing with your generation that everybody just knows what that is? Or what do you think? Mm. I've been in fandom spaces since I was like 
11, 10, 11. And my, like, memory doesn't really go back farther than that. My memory doesn't really go farther back than 10 to 11 years old. I don't really remember a time when I didn't know what fanfiction was because I would, because people would always be bringing it up in like weird amino chat rooms or whatever the heck I did when I was that age. Yeah, no, and that makes perfect sense because if you have been in fandom spaces online since you can remember, which is around, you know, 10, 11, 12, obviously those online fandom spaces are going to be talking about fanfiction because that's just the thing that people talk about in yeah, online fandom like, spaces. I was, a, I was always a smart kid, so I, I could take the word fan, I could take the word fiction i could place them together and it kind of made sense to me nice okay so for you personally and i like asking this question of everybody what are the best things about fan fiction as a concept for you the best things for me is like telling different stories with these characters that you already know because like the heavy lifting's already been done for you i don't need to explain the whole backstory of like why Arthur Morgan is in this gang. If you're reading Red Dead fanfiction, you probably already know why he's in this gang. Uh, so I don't need to do any of that. I can just, I can just jump right in there without having to worry about, like, world building or any of that boring stuff that I don't really like to do. Also, I think that another great aspect of fanfiction is that you can focus on, like, characters who never get enough attention in, in canon. Who aren't going to get the attention in canon because they aren't the main character. Oh, I love that answer. I love that one so much. I don't know about you, but I've always had this soft spot in my heart for the characters that don't get enough screen time, whether it's the video game or whether it's a TV show or a movie, you know. I've always kind of been one of those uh, side character people, you know. And so fan fiction, you're right. It's this great place where you can get more of that side character that just doesn't get enough love in canon. Yeah, like, or like, redeeming villains that are never gonna get redemption arcs in the game. The two guys that I write mostly about, they're both, like, canon villains. They both kind of suck ass. They're kind of the worst. <laughs> oh my god, I can't wait to ask you about that. I honestly had no idea that they were until you just said that, so now I have so many questions. But we'll save that for later on in the well, They're interview. both, like, they're, they're kind of, like, they're very, very similar to Arthur Morgan and John Marston in the fact that, like, their moral code is very similar and dictated by other people, so if you put them around good people, they're likely going to be okay, but if you put them around, like, bad people, they're just gonna be the worst. Huh, I have an uncle like that. That's so weird. And, like, their their moral code is not the best, <laughs> so, like, it all depends on the people they're around. So I can write them being nice, but they're they're both still kind of the worst, to be honest. <laughs> but that's cool, though, because fan fiction lets us explore that, even with the villain characters, you know? And the cool thing I like about fan fiction is you can either give the villain characters a redemption arc, or you can just let them be bad and explore that. Or what people often do in Red Dead, where they just fucking kill the main antagonist because they hate him so much. <laughs> yeah. They yeah, kill him yeah. off. <laughs> it always makes me laugh when I see the characters that people kill off in fan fiction. Because you're just like, okay, I know who's your least favorite <laughs> in this franchise. Yeah, um, I, I gotcha. Now, okay, yeah. so here's a question I've never asked anybody before. Are there any common misconceptions about fan fiction that you can think of that you wish more people understood? Okay, misconceptions. Well, first off, that all fanfiction is gay erotic porn. I feel like you've realized that I do not write gay erotic porn. 
I don't like that assumption because, like, I feel like it's just, like, a weird assumption. Over half of the fanfiction I write is Jen. So I think it's just kind of bullcrap. And then I also don't like this assumption that everyone who writes it is a weeb who lives in their mom's basement uh, or argues about who their favorite waifu is. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like there's this weird assumption that all fanfiction is an anime thing. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to have to tell my brother about that one. He's going to laugh so hard. Those are his favorite words to use. And he'll go off on some like, you know, comedy bit for me because he's so funny. And uh, those are the words he likes to use the most because he knows it'll make me laugh. So that's so great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, it isn't all just that, I promise. And honestly, I haven't watched anime since a long time ago. Oh, no, that's great. Thank you so much for bringing those up. Because, yeah, I agree with you. Those are some interesting common misconceptions that people think about fan fiction. So, you know, it's very cool that we get to come on here and talk about it because that's one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, create a space where we could talk about it. Because, uh, you know, we're trying to gently break people out of common misconceptions. Not that those common misconceptions aren't true in some cases. In some cases they are, you know, like that stuff does exist in fan fiction. I don't judge people who do write gay erotic fanfiction, but I do kind of judge the weebs, to be honest. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, weebs. <laughs> well, you know what? Love for everybody. So you know what, weebs? It's all right. It's all right. Love to you and your mom's basement. It's all good, man. <laughs> it is all good. No. Okay. So Red Dead Redemption. This is a video game. I know yes, that it much. It's like a Western period thing. Uh, 19th century, if I'm correct on that. Very late. 19th century. Okay, yeah, very late 19th century, which I think is super cool. I mean, historically speaking, a lot of really interesting things happen during that time period. Red Dead 2 is set in 1899. Okay. And Red Dead 1 is set in uh, 19, 1911, 12 years later. It's a, Red, Dead, Red Dead 2 is a prequel game to Red Dead 1. So interesting. Very cool. Now, I'm curious to know, did you get into this game just on your own or did somebody get you into it in some interesting way or how did that happen for you? How did I find Red Dead? Well, two years ago, I played a lot of GTA V, another Rockstar game property. I played a lot of GTA V and I was looking for like other games to play because I'd already beaten like the GTA V plot like a hundred times. And then I, and then I quickly found Red Dead because it's a very popular video game. Fun fact, Red Dead is the ninth best-selling video game. Red Dead 2 is the ninth best-selling video game ever. I believe it. I hear a lot of people talking about it. Even in non-fan fiction context, I, I hear a lot of people talk about Red Dead. Yes, so, yeah. And I quickly found it, and I was like, whoa, it's a Western. I love Westerns. I love cowboys. Let's let's go. And so uh, I got it that Christmas from my aunt and uncle. Yeah, and then I played the shit out of it for the next two years. Now, what is it about Westerns that you like? Westerns? Hmm. I don't really know. I've always kind of liked historical fiction. Like, I recently read The Great Gatsby, and I really liked it because I love historical fiction. That's really cool. Is it just, like, the aesthetic vibe of historic fiction? Or is it learning about different historical time periods? It's kind of both. I kind of like the aesthetic of these rootin' tootin' cowboys with uh, no personal hygiene, 
No, honestly, honestly, I think, honestly, I think that it kind of makes everything more interesting because they're all so mentally ill, but they have no, like, they have no, they have no access to therapy, so you can't play the get therapy excuse. They have no access to that. It's 1899. <laughs> you know, I am so glad that you brought that up because I had so many questions about these characters based on the behaviors that they were displaying in your fan fiction. So I'm glad that you brought that up because we're going to talk about that because I'm so curious. But that's so cool. They have no access to therapy. Can't play the get therapy excuse here. Oh, man. So it sounds like you got into Red Dead and you just really liked it. Sounds like you probably had some characters that maybe you related to or enjoyed more than others. I'm sure. Everybody has their favorites. Okay, okay, okay. Can't, I can't loudly complain about Dutch Vanderlyn all day. I, I don't like him very much. I, yeah, he, he kind of is the worst. But uh, I can I can go on a different rant about that. But okay, I also wrote down some um um some notes about like um distinguishing between the three Red Dead games because shockingly there are three. One of them no one talks about though. Red Dead is the t is the video game name series. It's not Red Dead Redemption. It's just Red Dead. Red Dead is a video game series with three games at the moment. They have confirmed a third one. So, in 2004, Rockstar made Red Dead Revolver, it's starring Red Harlow in the, 18, in the 1880s, but then they kind of did a soft reboot of the series in 2010 for, um, um, Red, Dead, for Red Dead Redemption, the first one. That one stars John Marston, and then they released, in 2018, they released Red Dead Redemption 2, which stars Arthur Morgan. It, which is the prequel game to Red Dead Redemption 1. Okay, that makes sense, because the, um, the Red Dead fanfiction I've read prior to this has had Arthur as the, the main character, so that makes sense. Okay. Arthur is very popular, um, because the first Red Dead Redemption can be a little bit hard to get your hands on nowadays, because it's not available on PC anymore. It's only available on Xbox. On Xbox. Ah, lame. Lame, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that either. But you can only play the first Red Dead on an Xbox, unfortunately. Ah, but the second one you can still play on PC. Yeah, the they did an Rockstar did an official release for Red Dead Two on PC. So yes. Okay. All right. Well, that's better. Okay, I can forgive them then. That's fine. A little. I honestly don't think I can ever forgive Rockstar for what they did to these characters. <laughs> I don't think I can ever forgive you. <laughs> Did they do them dirty? Oh, very dirty. So dirty. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. No, was it 2018 then that you got into Red Dead or was it was it before uh, no, that? No, it was a, it was 2020 that I got into Red Dead. I was not around for when when Red Dead actually released. I wish I was, honestly, because the fandom seemed like a very interesting time back then. Because the fandom was not very large when it was just Red Dead Redemption, the first one. It, it seems that it was not very large. It's very, you can't, honestly, there are not very many fan fictions back from that time. If you look at the, the very last one, at the very first page, there are, there aren't exactly a whole lot that came out before Red Dead 2. Would you estimate like lower than 500 for that first game? Yeah. Yeah. Lower than 500 for the first game. Honestly, it seems that it's like, it's less than 100. It's about 80 to 100 fix that came out before Red Dead 2 did. Oh, damn. So when it first came out, it was really tiny online then, as far as fandom spaces go for fan fiction. Yeah, so one, so, okay, so all, all of all the fix that came out, it's one, two, three, 
Yeah, about three pages, three to four pages on AO3. Wow, that's tiny. Now, I know that you wanted to talk about being in a smaller fandom because even with the second game out and everything, you were describing this fandom as still relatively small compared to other ones. Tell us about that a little bit. Okay, so relatively, honestly, I would describe Red Dead as like a medium to small sized fandom because I wouldn't describe it as tiny because it is about, it has about 9,700 works. But especially when you compare it to a few other fandoms that you've, you've, that you've, um, that you've uh, featured on this podcast, it is not very large. <laughs> yeah, no, compared to like Supernatural or MCU, uh, I'm sure Red Dead is <laughs> smaller than that. But but 9,000 fix for a smaller fandom isn't something to sneeze at either, so that's pretty good. No, most of those, uh, the, the fandom is a little dwindling at the moment because it's been like four years since the last game came out. Okay, okay. So if you post a new fan fiction then for Red Dead, can you expect it to stay on page one for a bit then after you post mm, it? No, it's, it's, I said it is dwindling, but it's not dead. It's, it's still, it's still a fairly big, it's still fairly popular to write for Red Dead. I still get, uh, there's still like at least usually around 10 released per day. That's pretty good then. That's pretty good. At least it's not dead, right? <laughs> well, there, there's about 10 like chapters or new fix released per day, which isn't terrible. Which is, which is pretty good. I think that's that's fair. That's this decent size. It's but there there are still pretty good communities on Discord and Twitter and Tumblr, uh, which is also good. Oh, that's awesome! With it being smaller, do you feel like you have closer fandom relationships with other writers and people in that fandom space than you would otherwise if it was? Bigger? I think I think I do because I I'm even more niche than a lot of the other like Red Dead fanfiction. I'm even more niche because both of the characters I write are fairly unpopular. Uh, well, not really. Well, Javier isn't, but Bill is very unpopular. He is disliked by the majority of the fans. I'm sorry, Bill. No one likes you. Oh, poor Bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Javier is fairly popular, but that's only because he's pretty. I'm sorry. Yeah, Javier is fairly fairly popular, but because he's very pretty. I'm I'm the first to admit that he's pretty, but well, you know what? I looked up his picture after I finished reading your fan fiction because I wanted to face to the name. You know, I looked him up. You're right; he is. I'll give Bill you that. Bill is not as pretty, unfortunately. <laughs> I think he's pretty, but that's because I'm gay. That's because I'm gay, and I like bears. Yeah, he's more like the rugged, uh, like Paul Bunyan type. You know, he's got that beard. He's kind of broader, you know, but you're right. He's he's probably not the one that people are going to point at and be like, he's so pretty. Not like Javier. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm even more niche. So like the people that I do like attract, I'm always very appreciative of because like anyone who enjoys it, I'm like, yay, you liked it. Thank you for liking it. You know what, though? I bet that the other people in the fandom who who like those same characters that you like are always so appreciative when anybody comes up with content that's interesting for the characters that they enjoy, too. So you're kind of probably like a fandom hero in a case, right? Mm. Oh, that sounds nice. I like the sound of that. And like, <laughs> there you go. Like, a lot of the characters I write about in the fandom are not exactly super popular, like... Like Micah, everyone hates Micah, which is fair. You're kind of supposed to hate Micah, and 
Mike is a character you're supposed to hate, and just a lot of them, including Bill and Javier and Sean sometimes. Sean's there too. Hi, Sean. And Dutch. Fuck you, Dutch. I read about <laughs> Dutch, but everyone writes about Dutch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know who Dutch is, but um, based on what I read in your fan fiction, I, I understood that we were supposed to hate Dutch. You know, I was like, okay, Dutch is not cool. Dutch is not cool. He's kind of the worst. Uh, so Dutch Vanderlyn. Okay, that's that's like a whole different tangent. So in the game, the Vanderlyn gang is the main gang that that all the characters are a part of for the most part. Um, and it's run by Dutch Vanderlyn. Don't ask about the name. <laughs> yeah. So Dutch, he is the leader, and Dutch, he has a lot of mental health issues. Yeah, Dutch has a lot of issues. He he isn't exactly a stable person, but he also is incredibly manipulative of everyone in the gang. Uh, he uses his leverage of being the person who saved a lot of the gang's life to keep them there. Oh, kind of like, I saved you, now you owe me a favor? Yeah, yeah, I saved you. Now, now you owe me forever. Stay loyal to me, and I'll and we can get out of here and get out of the reach of the law because they're all criminals. By the way, everyone here is a criminal. Everyone here is kind of a shit person. Everyone in the Vanderlyn gang is kind of a shit person, including Arthur and John. They're all kind of shit people. But Dutch is the worst. Yes, that is kind of true. And like, it's especially true by the end of the game when people start leaving him because you know he's the worst. <laughs> When people start leaving, he, he kind of, like, kicks, kicks it up a few notches to use his leverage to be like, Arthur, I saved you. What the heck's wrong with you? Where are you going? And Arthur, who doesn't really have the ability to say no, that's kind of like one of his worst character traits, that he can't say no to Dutch. He's like, I'm sorry, Dutch. I, I, yeah, that's true. I, you did save my life. Wow. Wow, so Dutch kind of uses, like, underhanded psychological tactics to try to get people to do what he wants. And, like, the manipulation is is incredibly clear with the entire gang. Like, with Arthur and with John and with Bill and with Javier and with, like, all of them. He keeps on saying, like, we're just going to get out of here. We're going to go to Tahiti, boys. We're going to go to Tahiti. And we're never going to have to see this American law again. And everything's going to be fine, okay? We just need more money. That's like his key thing. We just need more money. But no money is ever enough. It sounds like he kind of strings him along there a bit. No money is ever going to be enough. It's like, if you, if you choose a certain ending, which is the go back for the money ending instead of helping John, it's kind of like the low honor, terrible ending. Instead of helping John, you go back for the money. If you go back for the money... They have like forty thousand dollars in eighteen ninety nine. They could have easily gone to Tahiti if Dutch wanted to. That he could have taken them to Tahiti by the end of the game, but he didn't. Oh my god! Oh my! After all of that, I'd be so mad. Oh my god! Yeah. I'd be so mad. Mm. Yeah, like like he he keeps on saying, Arthur, Arthur, guys, we just need more money. Honestly, by chapter three, they probably could have left and gone to Tahiti. Now, do we know per canon? what Dutch's real endgame is, because obviously it's not Tahiti, right? And he just wants more money. Do we know why? Well, I think that he does want to get out of America. He does want to go to Tahiti, but he's convinced himself that no amount of money is ever going to be enough to get to Tahiti. Wow! So he's his own worst enemy there, too. Yeah, he's kind of his own worst enemy. He's like, no, 
this $40,000, no, this isn't enough to get to Tahiti, guys. We need more money. We need to, we need to, like, be building a mango farm from scratch, <laughs> boys. What? And, like, what? I don't know. I don't know, Dutch. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my. That sounds like some really, like, messed up reality show or something. The mango farm. <laughs> oh, my God. We need oh to God. be farming mangoes on Tahiti, guys. Okay, so, so that's Dutch. Um, Okay, and then, and then going down from Dutch, it's like, there's like, there's like kind of a power system too in the Vanderlyn gang. Because like, the, the, the longer you've been in the gang, it's kind of like generally the more respect that you get. Because Arthur is one of the three founding members, basically. Arthur is like a senior gun. He's very, he's very respected by a lot of the gang. Um, because he's like so, like, brutal and good at what he does. But Dutch is always talking about loyalty. That's also kind of like another bad trait of his, that he's always talking about loyalty. That he kind of makes loyalty like this, like, thing that, like, you have to be. Like, he, like he's always talking about it, and like how, and like how if you do anything that he doesn't like, that you are disloyal, you, that you aren't doing good enough. Oh, so he's kind of set himself up as this authority figure... And whatever he says goes, and if you go against that, disloyalty. Automatic disloyalty. Or you're doubting me, Arthur. How dare you doubt me after all I did for you. This is also very much uh, reaches over into, into other characters who are scared of being disloyal and would never go against him. Which is like what Bill and Javier are, because Dutch also did save their lives. And, and they've convinced themselves that if they... If they did anything against them, that that they wouldn't be accepted anywhere else. They would not be accepted in other places because uh, Javier is Mexican. He he came from Mexico as a criminal. Dutch convinced him that well, why would anyone else want you? Why would anyone else want you, Javier? Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Okay, let's save that for a couple questions in the future because, like, I got that feeling when I was reading your fan fiction. I was like, I got to ask him about this because this is what I'm getting, like the vibe I'm getting with Javier. So we're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, you talked about being in a smaller fandom and what that was like and everything. And before we get more into, like, your actual fan fiction and the characters with Bill and Javier, you mentioned being willing to discuss your experience as a gay young man in fandom, which I really appreciate. We've never had anyone want to talk about that on the show before. So tell us about that. What are some things that you would want us to know about that? The main thing that I want to know is that it's it's okay for you to write slash fan fiction if you're like a straight woman. I feel like there's like recently there's been this uproar of like people being like, well, you can't write that. You're you're a straight lady. And I'm like, that's a, it's all right for you to do that. But the thing is, you do have to be like a little bit more uplifting to men in fandom, especially like gay men. And you have to be like a little bit more supportive of them instead of like staying in your echo chamber of like just other straight women. Um, consider like talking to like a real gay man. Yeah, so incorporating other voices in our community. Yeah, because I do, I do know that that fandom is woman dominated, and that's always great. I like that. Uh, I do know that fandom is a woman is mostly for the most part a woman dominated space, and I'm not saying that's bad for you to write gay erotic fan fiction as as a straight woman. It's all right. You can do whatever, but like, be a little bit more uplifting to minority voices in fandom. Of all types, not just of the gay type, of like all types. 
Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. Thank you. Thank you for that, because I agree 100% that just because fandom, especially fan fiction spaces, have traditionally, like you said, been dominated by, uh, you know, certain groups of people, doesn't mean that we shouldn't welcome and embrace and incorporate everybody's voice. And I think that's great. That's a great thing for us to know. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about there with that? No, I think that I think that pretty much covers it. All right, right on, right on. Okay, so let's get into Bill and Javier, yeah. right? Like, Ooh, yeah. because like I had so many questions about this. Uh, I'll be straight up with you. This was my first exposure to these two characters because, like I said, I think Arthur was the character that I read about in the last time that I read Red Dead Redemption fan fiction. So this is my first time reading about Bill Williamson and Javier Escuela. His last name is actually pronounced Escuela. Esquia. Esquia. Yeah, see, and I should know that, right? <laughs> I'm the worst Mexican on the planet, just saying. So set us up for this a little bit. You did mention before that both of these characters are sort of like villain characters, because it sounds like everybody in this game is kind of a villain character in the sense that they're outlaws, right? Like they commit crimes. <laughs> they're not great people for the most part. But I do think that for the most part, unless your name is Dutch Vanderlyn or Micah Bell, then you're, you are a redeemable character because the point of Red Dead is the game's title is Red Dead Redemption. There is no thing that you could do to make yourself unredeemable. Like, there, there, there are obviously things you can do that make you unredeemable, but I think in the Red Dead universe, like, it's like redeem, redemption is a very, um, like, a very, like, overarching theme. Oh, do you think that that's one of the themes that you were exploring here with your series? No, it's kind of like the opposite of that. Because, like, uh, you know, the overarching theme of, of Red Dead is redemption. But in this series, it's kind of like the overarching theme is brotherhood. Which I loved, by the way. I loved that because, you know, like you said earlier, the gen fix don't get enough love sometimes. And so I love that we have this whole Gen Fig series that's about brotherhood. That was my first question, okay, about Bill Williamson and Javier Escuela, because I'm wondering, in canon, who are these two characters to each other? What kind of interactions do they have in canon with the game? Well, they're not always the greatest, to be honest. Their interactions in canon are not always the kindest. Are they antagonistic a little bit? A little bit. But Bill does have some moments where he is a little bit iffy. I'm going to be honest. He's kind of a bit bigoted sometimes. Come on, Bill. You're better than that. <laughs> yeah, Bill. Come on. Yeah, he does have his moments of being a bit of a bigot. Towards Javier? Yeah, even towards Javier. I mean, it's mostly when he's drunk. Ah, he seems to have somewhat of a drinking problem. He does have a bit of a drinking problem. He's a bit of an alcoholic, but... Uh, Bill has a drinking problem, and he kind of, and like sometimes when he gets drunk, he can say very mean things to to people. But like I do think that deep down, Bill isn't half as nasty as he makes himself out to be. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna bring that up here when we start digging more a little bit. Psychology, baby. Yeah. Because I saw some things, and I was like, okay, all right, this is making me ask some questions. So for your storyline here, because what we're talking about today is your series, and I think what did you title the series? Is it just? It's just their names. Their names: Bill Williamson and Javier Escuela, and it's a series. There are multiple stories in here. 
Yeah, some of them are a little, are, uh, most of them are connecting from reluctant to, um, uh, coming down the mountain. It's all connected. Uh, the other two are kind of different, are kind of a different universe. That's just something I wrote for Womtober. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Cause I was like, some of these seem connected and some of them don't. And it was all very interesting. It was very cool. So, you know, of course I was wondering what themes are being explored here. Brotherhood, obviously, huge theme in this. I saw some others. What are some other themes? I would say mental illness, baby. <laughs> yes. Preach. They are not very happy people. Um, also, like, a lot of the times, a touch of um, internalized homophobia sometimes, mostly for Bill. Because Bill is, like, he's canonically gay. Really? Yes. Okay, it's it's a little bit confusing, but, like, it's, it's, it's kind of easy to explain. So there's, like, he's, like, heavily, very, very heavily implied to be gay. Like, to the point where it's, like... Like, come on, Rockstar, you could have just, like, said so. Oh, so you kind of have to squint to see it? Not really. It's it's like, you kind of have to open your eyes. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, okay. But it's in there. It's very much in there. Yeah, it's, yeah, Bill is, like, very heavily implied to be gay. If you listen close, like, he got discharged from the military for attempted murder and deviancy. Uh, the dudes in the gang constantly, like, joke about it. Okay, so let me ask you. The first two fics in this series, are those the ones that are kind of, like, their own thing? Yeah, they're, they're their own things. After that, everything is connected. Got it. Okay. That's what I was thinking, but I wanted to make sure that I was, like, reading into that right. In, in chronological order, it goes down until we're pretty much post-canon. So, uh, so I, I start reading part one, you know, part one of your series. The thing I was struck by on this one was uh, that first paragraph. I love it. It just grabs you. And I got such a Western vibe from that. It was amazing. So I just wanted to congratulate you on that and tell you, you did a really good job of instilling that Western vibe. And I felt like you did a really good job of keeping it up through the whole series. Yeah, it does have a very Western vibe. Yeah, I thought you did a really good job with that. There was this interesting paragraph here where he kind of, <laughs> he has some issues, right? With this gang that kind of hunts him down and they do some not nice things to him. Bill, like, most of the characters in Red Dead, most of the gang characters that are in the Vanderlyn gang do have bounties on their heads. They're wanted men, pretty much all of them. A few of the gang members of the Vanderlyn gang are not wanted because they don't really participate in the crime aspect of it. They participate in more of the family aspect of it. But Bill is very much involved in the crime aspect, so of course he has a very high bounty. See, and I wanted to ask you about that because when he is surrounded by this bounty hunting gang, he mentions feeling like the prey, you know, instead of the predator. And it made me think, oh, you know, Bill seems like he's more used to being the other way around where he's usually the predator, right? And he's yeah. usually the one. And so him being in this vulnerable situation where he's the one kind of being beat up here, he doesn't sound like he's too used to that. Kind of like a script flip sort of situation. So I can see how that would be uh, psychologically uncomfortable for somebody like Bill, right? Who's kind of not used to being in that situation. So I really loved how you kind of explored the trauma fallout of how that would feel for someone like Bill who's not quite used to all the time being in that kind of a situation, and all of a sudden, he's the prey instead of the predator. I thought that was really interesting. He isn't, he's suddenly the one being attacked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like how strange that would be, right? 
for someone like Bill to be like, oh, my God. But one of the things that I really loved about this is uh, towards the end of that first part when Javier is talking to him and he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry I didn't find you sooner before you got attacked, you know. And Bill's like, oh, yeah, you know, don't worry. It's fine. It's not your fault. You couldn't get here sooner. And then Javier turns to him and he says, you know, I know, but it wasn't your fault either. And I thought that that was so astute of Javier to be able to to say that out loud to Bill, kind of like that was something he needed to hear. Yeah, he did need to hear that. Oh, if there's anything you need to hear is that. Uh, thank you, man. You're, you're you're the best. Love you, Javi. Yeah, and I thought that that was really nice of, of Javi to, to say that to him because he didn't have to. And then I just thought it was funny that uh, you put that part in there where Bill hears what he says and he just kind of stays quiet. You know, internally, he's really grateful that Javi said that, but like... Bill can't actually say it out loud, like, thanks, man, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he doesn't, he's kind of like, he doesn't want to say thank you. He just, he, he thinks it'd make him weak or something, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not toxically masculine. That's what the impression was to me, though, when I, when I read that, I was like, oh, man, that's a repressed thought there, right? That you are grateful that somebody took the time to say that out loud to you, but you can't acknowledge it and you can't say thank you. You know what I mean? And I thought, oh, man, Bill's got some issues. He's got some issues, (laughs) right? I wrote a whole different fanfiction about all his issues. I mean, about about kind of where they all come from. Well, you see them come up in the second part here of your series because the second part is kind of the aftermath after he's attacked and everything. And you can see that traumatic kind of PTSD thing going on with Bill and you know you you set up pretty well that he's like a raging alcoholic right so of course he's going to use alcohol to try to kind of numb the experience of what happened and everything and uh, he's just a mess like a an utter mess in this and I liked that you let him be a mess in here that was kind of yeah, cool and then and then and then he ends up attacking Sean yes sorry Sean <laughs> Sean I love I like writing Sean I like writing my favorite Irish bastard but he's kind of an asshole well he didn't have to go over there and confront Bill he didn't have to do that so I mean 50 percent blame on Sean for that right yeah 50 percent blame on Sean for that um and then He's he's trying to use it for blackmail because Sean, he's very curious. He's always described as being very curious about what's going on. So I was like, well, he'd be very curious about why Bill is acting like that. So Yeah, yeah, that kind of kind of seemed to be the whole crux of the story is everybody being curious, like, man, what's up with Bill? Like, you know, he drinks a lot, but this is just insane. This is like, this is like like unhealthy levels, abnormal levels for the 1800s. Yeah, exactly. He's gonna like kill himself or something with all that alcohol. So they were kind of, you know, concerned about that. But I thought that Javi's response to all of this in the, the second part of your story was very interesting, too. Because I felt like, and you tell me if if this is like what you were kind of going for, but I felt like Javi was taking on more responsibility for the situation than maybe he should have. Like he seemed like he had a lot of internalized blame for what yeah, happened, not yeah, just what happened does. with Bill, but what Bill is doing that's like, you know, concerning everybody else. And he just seemed like he felt really responsible for all of it. Yeah. Yeah, he's very loyal. So when he promises something, of course he's gonna keep that promise. Of course, he he can't. He 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 he's the type who'd never break a promise unless he absolutely had to. Okay, well that makes so much sense because you know 
then you start in part three. And part three is kind of when... Um, Javier got beat up. Yeah, part three is kind of where something happened to Javi. And so he's at a commission, you know, he's kind of bedridden here. And he just feels so guilty because he's injured and he can't help out the rest of the gang on what they're doing. All he can do is just kind of sit there and recover from whatever's going on with him. And I just thought it was so interesting. Basically what happened is he was tortured for a few days. Ouch. Yeah, uh, we're using the T word. Uh, what happened is, in the aftermath of a terrible bank robbery gone wrong, Vanderlyn gang, well, a few of them, wash up, wash up on the shores of this Caribbean island of Guarma. It's a very strange place to take this story. I don't know how we got here, but I, I it's very good wump. It's very good, it's very good wump. But, um, Guarma is an ex-sugar plantation island. Well, it is a sugar plantation island. And it's basically run by the dictator who, when they find these, like, criminals, Dutch Vanderlyn is a very wanted criminal. He's, like, super wanted. And, like, most, and a lot of people in America know his face from his wanted posters. And, like, this includes Javier. So, um, so, yeah, when, when he gets tortured and when he, and when he's, like, out of commission for a little bit, he does feel terrible about it. He, he just wants to help so bad. He feels useless. Yeah, he seemed to have some really low opinions of himself here in this his third part. And I was like, oh, man, you know, Javier, like, you're so hard on yourself, man. Like, you know, you can't always help when you're at a commission like that. But he just felt so much shame over it, which I thought was so telling of what's kind of going on psychologically with him. Yeah, Javier, the thing he wants most is to, like, help and, like, be useful. But, yeah, he can't always be, like, completely useful. You got like shot, boy. <laughs> yeah, you got shot. Yes, yeah. So you know he he ends up having to kind of let Bill take care of him a little bit, and Bill's kind of like rolling his eyes a little bit, like, okay, you know, I don't really think I'm the best choice or the best candidate for this, but okay. <laughs> yeah, he yeah um doc uh, he is not a doctor. He's he's continuously says I ain't a doctor. Dutch I in a doctor. I can't take care of him. Do I look like a doctor? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, he was funny because he was going about it all the way I thought he would, like all gruffly and like, I don't know what I'm doing, but fine. I'll help, you know. And it was just really funny. Um that he he does it anyway. And I thought that was really nice. So Yeah. Then and then part four. Massive time skip time. We're post chapter six. Everything sucks. Yeah, well, they're in that cabin. The cabin is like, um, everything sucks. It's like they're everything sucks and we're gonna die location. Well, this is where I started getting Dutch sucks vibes. Because the way I understand it, reading part four, is Dutch kind of abandoned them out there in that area. And so they're kind of forced to stay at this cabin. And they're just kind of waiting around, hoping that Dutch comes back for them. Yeah, like, what happened is... In the at the end of chapter six, the gang just robbed a train, got a bunch of money from this train robbery that they just did, and like they go back to camp. But then this lady, um, one of the lady members of the gang, Tilly, she runs up and she's like, "Arthur, Arthur, Dutch guys, um, they took they kidnapped Abigail, and Abigail is John Marston's wife." Also, like sidetrack, um, John is is presumed dead at this point. Everyone saw him fall off the train that they robbed, and everyone thought he was dead. 
Um, okay, so then, so then Arthur goes with this other woman, Sadie, Sadie, and, and they go and save Abigail, and get John and his family far, far, and they get Abigail and, um, Abigail away, and then, and then Arthur goes back to camp to confront Dutch about that bullshit that he just pulled with Abigail, and then he goes back to confront him, and Mike is there, and Micah, he's the worst, by the way, he's kind of the worst. Um, so Mike is there in, in Dutch's ear, uh, as always, for this part of the story. He's in Dutch's ear, and he's like, Dutch, don't listen to Black Lung over here. Also, the Arthur's, like, dying of tuberculosis. Don't mind that. And he's like, don't mind Black Lung over here. We're just, we're, come on, Dutch, we gotta get out of here. The Pinkertons are after us. And Dutch is like, yeah, you're right. And then, like, everyone, like, pulls guns on each other. There's, like, a final standoff. If you watch the whole scene... Don't mind the lady that gets shot, that's Susan. I love Susan, by the way. Susan is one of my favorites. I like you, Susan. So then Micah, in the end of the- at, at pretty much the end of the con- at the standoff between Arthur and Micah, Micah shoots Susan Grimshaw, who's also been with Dutch for pretty much a lot- for a very, very long time. And Dutch doesn't even blink. He doesn't even react to one of his oldest friends getting shot right in front of him. Arthur yells, you choose your side now, because this is over. Also, John shows up, like, halfway through, and is yelling at Dutch, like, you left me to die! Also, John's here. Hi, John. Um, so then, so then it's, like, a choice. You have to choose between Dutch and Arthur and John. And, like, when people start choosing sides, um, Arthur turns to Bill and Javier, and he's like, Bill, Javier, think for yourselves! But then they still stand with Dutch. In, in a true final act of their undying loyalty. So they stick with Dutch, and then Dutch abandons them? In that cabin? Well, okay, I'm getting there. Okay, also, fun fact, Javier is not is not pointing his gun at Arthur or John. He's pointing his gun at the sky. Oh, he really doesn't want to get into a fight with anybody. No. But then, okay, but then the Pinkertons show up and everyone runs. Everyone bolts for it. Um, uh, John and Arthur and, like, the, everyone who's stuck with Dutch, uh, they're, they go in different directions. And then later, Dutch and Micah and... Dutch and Micah are seen later up with the up the mountain with Arthur, with Arthur when he dies and stuff, because Arthur's also canonically dead. When Arthur dies of tuberculosis and stuff, yeah, every, everything kind of sucks in this... Everything in this video game sucks. It's all sad. But, like, after the standoff, we never actually see Bill and Javier again. Never. What? Until Red Dead 1. Until Red what? Dead 1, we never see them again. Which is the kind of the worst part, because we see Dutch again. Does Dutch ever talk about them? No. <gasps> oh my god. Okay, 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 so, okay, 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 so continuing. After Dutch and Micah run up the mountain after John and Arthur, Dutch walks away from Micah, and he could have done anything after that. But I don't think that he would have gone back down the mountain to get Bill and Javier. I think that he would have left on his own and never talked to any of them again. Damn! And, like, left them confused, abandoned, and being shot at. Okay, so this this part four of your series really is kind of like your interpretation of what you think could have happened if Dutch never came back to get them, which it sounds like he didn't, right? Which he never did in canon. Which oh my he, god! Which he, like, presumably did not. Yeah, That's and like, so sad. And then, in my personal opinion, I do not think that they would have left each other because, I mean, they can't be alone. They can't be by themselves. They're mentally ill. Yeah, no, you know what? 
I felt like this was like a pinnacle part of the series here because this really does start to illustrate like the mental illness issues that they're dealing with here because you go into how they're both alone. They've got each other, but they're alone. They have no idea where Dutch is, no idea what happened to the rest of the guys. Like they're just like, uh, we're here. And it was so interesting to me how Javier, it's been six months, but you know, when part four starts, it's been six freaking months and they're still waiting for Dutch to come back and retrieve them. And it almost seems to me that Javier is still loyal to that idea. Yeah, he is very loyal. Yeah, just give him a little more time. Have some faith, Bill. He actually yeah, says that verbatim. He does. Have some faith, Bill. And Bill's the one that starts thinking like, man, this guy is not coming back for us. Like he just left because that was the best thing for him to do. And he doesn't give a crap about us, you know? I mean, we gave so much of a crap about them. Yeah. So it's this sad thing where he's like trying to convince Javier, like maybe, maybe he's actually not coming back, man. Like, I think we're on our own. And I thought it was so interesting. Javi starts suggesting like, well, if he's not coming back, I guess maybe we we could split up and try to catch up with Dutch ourselves. And that's where Bill just loses it. He freaking, I think I wrote the word panic in my notes here. Like he panics at that idea because like, you're right. Like there's some mental illness issues going on here or something. Yeah, they don't want to be by themselves. Yeah, being alone and the thought of the one person who still hasn't left him leaving. Like he cannot handle it. And he deals with it by punching the walls in the cabin, which I thought was just so perfect because you're right that in this time period, therapy isn't a thing. Mental health and self-care isn't a thing. It's not. I mean, I also wrote the sentence, the other option was punching Javier. Um <laughs> Yeah, which which I don't think would go very well. Probably not. If you don't want him to leave, probably don't punch Javi in the face. But he does deal with it by kind of like harming himself a little bit and punching walls and stuff, which I thought was perfect because I feel like that's so Bill. He has these great, big, overwhelming, powerful feelings. And instead of talking them out or expressing them with words or just being honest with Javier and being like, dude, I don't want you to go. I don't want to be alone. He deals with it by acting kind of violent. Yeah, he's kind of like a big old wrecking ball. Yeah. He's like a big old wrecking ball of anger and fear and strong emotions that he doesn't know how to deal with. Right. So he deals with it by acting in self-destructive ways a little bit. Yeah, he deals with it with violence or whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. And that just seems so Bill to me. It's not that he doesn't have emotions. It's that he keeps them inside and expresses them in those ways which was just super interesting to me. I was like, oh my God. But then you kind of see the same thing happening with Javi in the next part because Javi has the same feelings. But he just forces himself to have a mental breakdown. He just has a full-on mental breakdown, boy. He does. And for some reason, I don't know Javi very well, so I don't know why I thought this, but I thought maybe Javi will deal with his mental breakdown just a little bit different than Bill does. But I kind of felt like they both reacted sort of the same way in the sense that Javi is sort of self-destructive, too. I feel like he internalizes those feelings a little bit more than Bill does, maybe. So he's feeling like super discarded and abandoned. And, you know, I wasn't good enough for Dutch. And that's why he abandoned us and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. He is very much the I wasn't good enough type of person. Yeah. 
God, the I wasn't good enough kind of person. There is this line in this part of the series that I loved where he says that, you know, well, you say you write the confidence Javier once had was gone, carried away with the snow and the wind. And that just got me so bad because I was like, oh, I can totally picture him being in this gang, which he views as family and having that confidence of having a place in the world with people that he thinks care about him and being abandoned suddenly by that and not having that anymore. I can absolutely see how that could trigger some sort of like really strong reaction. So, yeah, he kind of ends up running out of the cabin out into the snow. And doesn't he cut off his hair in this one or something like that? He does. He does chop off his hair with a knife, oh, no less. With a knife. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of a uh, extreme reaction, I guess, too, <laughs> you know. But then you have to think they've been alone in this cabin for so long at this point. That's really hard to be isolated like that for so long. A lot of people would go crazy or have a breakdown in circumstances like that, I think. Yeah, uh, honestly, I really like the end of this one, though, because Bill's just like, I think it's time you try short hair out, boy. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He's like, does it really look that bad? (laughs) And Bill's like, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but yeah, it was just super interesting watching these guys be so hands on with their feelings and the way that they expressed their feelings, because, you know, obviously they're not going to sit there and talk it out. They're just going to do like extreme things (laughs) to express themselves, which I thought was really funny. The next part is a more recent part. Um, Maybe we should fix the hole in the ceiling. I love that title. Um, Basically, in this one, they stargaze and talk about their feelings a little bit. A a little. Uh, They talk about Dutch. Um. Uh, they're like, do you ever think that, like, Dutch is, like, out there staring at the same sky that we are? I wonder where he is. Well, I hope he's far, far away from here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're, like, trying to both come to terms with the fact that Dutch isn't coming. I think they both know that at this point. Dutch ain't coming. Dutch ain't coming back, boys. No. No. We've been abandoned. Yup. Yup. Oh, I like the part in the series with the guitar. Oh, yeah, he breaks his guitar. Rest in peace, Javier's guitar. Yeah, and, uh, like, pretty much throughout the whole game, until pretty much late chapter 6, Javier's always playing his guitar. Yeah, Bill seemed really upset by the fact that Javier did that, you know, because he was like, whoa, dude, kind of extreme. Are you going to play a song? I want to hear you sing again, boy. Now what's he going to do? His guitar's broken. He don't have his guitar no more. Yeah, this is the one where Javier breaks his guitar, um, and then he and then they burn it in the fire, and he's like, also Javier's like getting kind of angry at Bill more directly than last time. Well, it's probably hard for him to see his brother kind of break down like that, you know? Yeah, he's like he's Javier's a little bit more angry at Bill more directly. He's like, I'm so sorry, you have to put up with me now. Yeah, he he must be very angry because you know when you're that loyal to somebody. And then that loyalty is kind of thrown in your face like that and you're abandoned. You have a lot of really complicated feelings about that, I'm sure. I'd be super pissed, too. But he he takes it out on Phil, which probably isn't exactly fair. But It's not. But I feel like that's in character, though, for both of them, because they're both so bad at expressing their feelings in an appropriate way. Yeah. And then they just lash out kind of at each other most of the time. Mm hmm. They do. But there are also moments where they offer each other like these really random, rare moments of comfort, too. You know, platonic comfort, of course. You know, I liked part seven here where they run out of whiskey. Sorry, Bill. Alcohol withdrawal time. Yeah, it was it was tough. It was tough. The alcohol withdrawal time and it's super cold. I'm assuming it's probably wintertime. No, 
Uh, the location Amberino tag is um, because they're up in the mountains. Of a very, it's pretty much cold all year, but it's a very cold in the winter. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, they have to conserve body heat in this one. Well, kind of. They only have one cot to. Um, they they've been sharing a cot like the whole time. I mean, uh, also, this is the one where we're, where Javier's like, yeah, you look like shit. Yeah, he's like, you don't look so good. You probably should just go to sleep and sleep it off. But yeah, one of the symptoms of alcohol withdrawal is sometimes they're insomniac. They they, they, they uh, develop a bit of insomnia. So he is having trouble sleeping. Right, he is. He is. So I thought it was kind of sweet that uh, they offer each other a little companionship here and a little comfort in those moments where it must be really hard for both of them to kind of be stuck in that situation and Bill's going through like withdrawal symptoms and stuff so Bill immediately just assumes that he's sick um he's he's kind of is but he's not exactly like a cold and he's like I haven't interacted with anyone in like a year how am I sick yeah yeah this is yeah. bullshit this is bullshit uh, and you know, the final one in the series, um, I think it's part eight. Yeah, yeah, I love this one. I liked it too because Bill's a dirty little liar in this one. There's this part in here where you write, as much as the idea of making it by himself terrified Bill, he was inclined to agree. He laughed a bit, trying to ignore the fear that welled up inside at the thought of being by himself. I can't wait to get rid of your ass. And I wrote, yeah, right, Bill. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. They decide to come down the mountain and they decide to go to a different town to try to, you know, make a life for themselves. Javi suggests, well, maybe we should split up once we get there. And Bill's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Can't wait to get rid of you. And I was like, yeah, right. That's such a lie. Bill's such a dirty that liar. Is such in a lie. <laughs> uh, also, also, I just love the Bill, Bill Williamson, the fucking idiot. Yeah. I'm just letting Bill Williamson's dumbass side where he's like, have you ever been to New Austin? That's literally where you met me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just, it was really good. I really enjoyed reading this series. I thought it was really, really well done. And I just wanted to tell you that, that it was just really, really great and interesting. And watching their emotions and their feelings, I feel like you did a really good job of showing how these characters with their limitations, would handle those types of emotions and those types of situations. It was very interesting to me. I had a question for you about writing fics. When you decide to write a new fic or a series, what's the very first thing that you do when you decide, I'm going to write a new fic? I start writing it. You don't plan it out or write a outline or anything like that? I did for this one. I did for Coming Down the Mountain, but I haven't, that was because that was it's multi-chapter. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it looked like you have maybe more chapters planned for that uh, that last part, so we could look forward to more chapters there. Yes, you can. I'm working on them. That's good. That's good. And then I do have more planned in this series. Uh, after after this one, I have more in this series planned. Um, hopefully, they'll be a little less concentrated in the in the in the in the woods in the cabin in the woods, hoping to branch out to new locations. <laughs> There you go. The whole world is open to you. So you take them anywhere and it'll be really awesome to see what they end up doing. Uh, yes. I do eventually plan on um, on showing how they become the Red Dead One selves because the Red Dead One selves are not anything like their Red Dead Two selves. Like, they're, they're the same character, of course, but they don't look very similar. They do have, like, understandable reactions in the 12 years in between. But also, they aren't together. Um, but they aren't—they aren't together anymore. So unfortunately, they do split up. Oh, so it is working towards that. Well, you know that's super awesome, though, that you're taking up 
the gaps there to try to tell us what happened and and what would explain the differences between the two. In Red Dead 1, Bill runs his own gang, which I think is like a kind of a reflection of his like of his fear of being alone. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, he, he just starts collecting uh, a bunch of people around him. Once Javier leaves, I think that he just starts collecting people to make him feel like he isn't alone. That makes total sense for Bill, though, from what I know about him by reading your fan fiction. He would totally do something like that because, hey, if he's the collector, he's the one in charge. Even if a few leave, he's still not going to be alone. He has more control over it. Yeah, he also wants to be in control, like, very desperately. It's like he longs for respect and control of his surroundings and the people around him. Because in the Vanderland gang, Bill loves the Vanderland gang, obviously. He's very loyal to Dutch. But he is never quite respected. The Vanderlands do not treat him with respect. They kind of treat him like a joke. Oh, so yeah, having his own gang, he can control that narrative. A lot better than he can by being just some lackey in the Vanderlands. So I'm sure that being with the Vanderlands taught him a lot about what he didn't want. Also, I think it's also partially um, like a reflection of like his longing to be like Dutch. Yeah, even though he probably has issues, right, with Dutch and <laughs> issues with the way things went down. He doesn't like Dutch very much, but he's kind of like he, he clearly sees Dutch as a father figure and he longs to be like him. There's still that part of him that kind of wants to aspire to some of that on some level. Yeah, and then Red Dead One Javier is very interesting. Red Dead One Javier works for the government in Mexico. He goes, he, he properly goes back to Mexico and starts working for like a government dude there, which is like shocking to me because Javier is like a total like revolutionary type guy who wants to, who like hates corrupt governments. Now, how did that become working for the government, Javi? Okay, so so my personal belief is how Javier got involved with the Mexican with the Mexican government. See, I think that when he goes back to Mexico, he he kind of like just wants to be part of a group again, kind of like Bill. But I don't think that Javi sees himself as much of a leader. Oh, so if he's going to be part of something, he's going to be part of something and not necessarily leading it. Yeah, again, we're getting back to, like, the, like, self-doubt. I don't think that he'd ever see himself as, like, quite a, quite that much of a leader. Yeah, I agree with you. From what I can see of his character reading your fix, he does seem to have just, I don't know, yeah, like you said, more self-doubt than Bill does, I think. And so that would absolutely impede his ability to to be the leader there, but he still wants to be part of something. So that'll be interesting to see what you do with that story there. Another, like, um, I'm very long. They're very lonely. Um, and a little bit of the plot of Red Dead 1. Um, Bill is the worst in Red Dead 1. He kind of sucks ass, to be honest. So John comes back to try and get kill and try and kill or capture Bill and Javier because of plot reasons that I can't over explain. See, John's family was kidnapped by the government, and now John has to go out and hunt down his old the his old gang, uh, which includes Bill and Javier. So, um, even after all this time, Bill still reaches out to Javier, and he's like, "Man, man, I need your help! I need your help, man! I need your help!" Man, yeah. So you know, there's still connection there, right? Even after all this time, he's just like, "Man, I need your help." I need I need your help, Javier. I, I, I got myself into a pickle. 
I caught myself into a pickle. John Marston's going to kill me. Please, please save me. Oh, my God. Well, you know, you can't hang around isolated in a cabin that long with somebody and not still have, like, feelings of bonded, platonic, brotherly something. Bill probably wouldn't call it love because that, you know, word probably he's allergic to that. But um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, you, you got to have some feelings for someone, right? Some kind of feeling for someone. And when you, you spend that much time isolated yeah, with like, them, they're, very, they're very much attached still. And like, even even though they haven't seen each other in a while, uh, they still care very much for each other and they want to see the other like succeed. So when Javier probably gets like a, a random letter and he's like, oh boy, if you don't, <laughs> fine, I'll save your ass. Yeah, I can see him saying that, rolling his eyes, just like Bill would and being like, okay. Now, we're running out of time here, but I wanted to ask you, which scene from the series so far did you look forward to writing the most? Mm, which one did I look forward to writing the most? Well, honestly, probably the one... Where Bill like starts thinking about going sober. I I I I just think that's nice. Ah, I like that. That's cool. That's cool. I can see that too. I I feel like his um his internal thoughts about that were very complicated in a way. He's like, well, this is my self this is my self destructive, uh, alcoholic beverage of choice, but also my dad was a drunk who died from being a drunk and also my dad was the worst so maybe i should like not do that yeah it was like this really rare moment of like um self-awareness for bill which is kind of unusual probably for him but yeah you tackled that and that was really really cool to see i loved that do you have any other fan fiction writers that you wanted to shout out on the podcast before we end yes yes i do okay so first up we got we got um the person who comments on everything i write autistic writer on AO3. And then we get the second one who comments on many of the things I write, Scalos Badlands on AO3 again. And then for the third one, we got the person who wrote my favorite Red Dead fanfiction. They do not appear to be active in the Red Dead fandom anymore, but Platonic Harmonics on AO3. Right on. Is there a title that Platonics wrote that you want to recommend everybody? Uh, yes, I would highly recommend um, their their work, The Matthews Family. It's an AU where Dutch dies instead of Hosea at the at the um, Sandy Bank robbery. It's a very very cathartic and like just just a lovely read. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'll put links to all of that stuff up on the show notes so people can find them and check them out. That's awesome. Which stood on rocky shores. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, talking to us about fan fiction and fandom. We really appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Check out his stories on AO3 and give him some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter at fanficmaverick. And I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling. Thank you.